This is the American Artson Podcast, where our goal is to spark creativity. Whether you're a musician, an artist, a writer, or an entrepreneur, we're here to provide you with tools, tips, and insight from professionals and creatives that you can use to inform and inspire your own journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Arson Podcast. Uh, I'm Evan Baker. I'm Jesse Gentry. And we have got an awesome episode for you guys today. We are going to be exploring DIY touring. And since this podcast is going to focus on all things creative, um, this is a perfect place to start because there's really no better way to exercise your creativity than doing a DIY project. And uh, DIY touring is one of those. Yeah, it's true. We've learned our fair share of lessons in the time we spent on the road over the past many years. Um, and we just wanted to share some of those with you and, and dive a little deeper into what we've learned, both the easy and hard way. Yeah. But since you guys are going to hear a whole lot um, from us and about us on this podcast, we thought it would be great to have a guest on who is a DIY touring veteran who's taught me quite a bit uh, about um, DIY <laughs> touring and who has uh, been right alongside us for several of our favorite DIY touring adventures. So today we have uh, Ty Eshelman from the Los Angeles rock band Sink In, and he's going to share with you um, some strategies uh, that you can apply if you're interested in DIY touring, um, or really if you're just interested in any sort of DIY project where you're, you're jumping into something you don't know a whole lot about. Um, and uh, I'm sure he'll have some crazy stories for us as well. So um, without further ado, let's dive into it. So we introduced you guys as being from Los Angeles, but where is that? Like, you guys are actually from all over the place. Yeah, we're really not from Los Angeles at all. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm the only member left that actually lives in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm from central Pennsylvania, Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, Cabretti is from central Pennsylvania as well. Josh is the middle of nowhere, southern Illinois. But that doesn't sound uh, as cool when you're on the stage to tell people we are sink in from the middle of nowhere, central Illinois. <laughs> Exactly. And then Mark lives in a town called Bangor, Pennsylvania. And um, I, I didn't even want to attempt to try and explain that from stage <laughs> Los Angeles. The branding is right on point. That's all I really need. Absolutely. There you go. Cool. Well, this episode, uh, we're really going to be diving into DIY touring. Um, and uh, you are a veteran of DIY touring. So why don't you take us back to the beginning and, and Tell us how you got started with DIY touring. What made you want to do that in the first place? Yeah. So um, I started touring when I was 17 years old, uh, 25 now, so we're eight years deep. And I don't even know how it started. I don't think anybody in a DIY touring band actually knows how <laughs> they got started. All the, the first question that we always get asked is like how you book that first show outside of your hometown and there's not a single person that's honest with their answer i don't i don't remember at all i i had i had an old band in high school who i think we just somebody somebody from north carolina sent us a message on facebook and just said hey i like your band would you want to come play our garage and <laughs> that was it i think I, i'm i'm perfect really certain it was just a guy from north carolina said do you want to come play our garage we said yes. Then we said, wait, none of, nobody has money to drive to North Carolina. Right. <laughs> so we found a, like a youth group to play at somewhere in Virginia. And then you book like four other shows of the four shows, exactly four shows cancel. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> one of those stories for sure. But um, yeah, uh, I remember doing one weekend run, just coming and playing at somebody's garage coming and playing at somebody's youth group and then when the rest of the dates canceled on us we played the same youth group the next night <laughs> a little two for one action yeah there two for one we left everything on stage we slept on stage and we were like hey you guys have a, a meeting tomorrow too right they're like yeah we're going over our like missions trip somewhere I'm like 
can we open up the uh, missions trip meeting with another sync in show? Oh, that's the economical way to do it, right? You you play twice as you. I'm mean, pretty soon you guys will just have like a residency, like Dolly Parton and in, in the. You know, overhead <laughs> lower than the per diem that night, so I would say we were officially a profit for about 24 hours. I haven't really been that way for the past for the next five years, but you know it was a good start. Absolutely. Um, so if yeah, if somebody was interested in uh, in if say you know like you said you got that question where. Uh, a band has never been outside their hometown and they're interested in branching out. Maybe they're not feeling the love in their hometown or maybe they just uh, have that spirit of adventure. They want to get out and go. Um, what would you what would you tell them? What kind of advice would you give them as as sort of the first step? What's the first thing they need to do? So I would say nowadays, I would say that the first step is nothing near what we actually did. <laughs> uh, that band at that time we you know I, I, being from this from the central pennsylvania era era especially at that time it was all august burns red texas in july all these heavier acts uh and we were kind of a pop punk band and it was just a novelty one we weren't good but even <laughs> if we were good we were something that nobody cared about right um i mean we literally didn't even have anywhere to play so for us, it immediately became this thing of like, let's just go see if we can play every surrounding state possible because everybody else out there likes what we do. We know it. We know it. So um, is that a necessity, that essentially? Right, right. But if that's not a if that's not a necessity for somebody who is a, a, attempting to put the piece together a DIY career, there's so many tactics early on that people miss out. Um, because they're, they're, they're either shooting, shooting for the stars too fast or else they don't even, they don't have the game plan to keep them grounded at first. If I, if I had to start an, a new project right now, um, I would, I would make a goal for like a surrounding six markets that are within a two hour drive and just say, okay, we're going to play in these areas every single weekend somewhere. Just, just opening up for people, playing it, playing the 6 PM spot bringing the gear, whatever it took yeah. to get on those shows, continuously show up just to be those familiar faces. Um, there's so much power in the ability to show up somewhere that you've worked really hard at and you know that you're going to have an audience right off the bat. Uh, and that, that launches your capabilities to, to reach outwardly. Um, you know, if you're, if you were a Pennsylvania band and your goal was to, to, to widen your radius to, to New York, Right every town be, be, between New York and your town in Pennsylvania needs to be hit first and needs to be grown before you reach that point in New York. Um, never did that. That was always a problem for us. And even with sink in where I'm at now, when we first started touring, that was a problem for us because we were from all these different States. Uh, so we just kind of had to like pick and choose where we were going. There was no like nucleus. We're like, this is going to be where we dig our roots and become known and become that band that people trust and people want to come out and see. Um, so if I was starting right now, I would just start with a nucleus of like, this is where we are going to be strong. This is our, so, our hometown. This is our base. It doesn't even have to be a town. I mean, again, again, the prime example was Lancaster. Like if I was to say back then, like, I want to be the, the biggest pop punk band in Lancaster before I started trying to branch out and reach a new audience, it would have never happened because nobody cared. <laughs> yeah uh so so just those those steps in between of just confidently being able to say as a, as a, as a starting off DIY band like hey we can go and drive an hour away from here and some kids are going to show up on a Friday night that's a first big big step uh that I think a lot of people miss I think in the in the conversations that I've seen uh or or had uh, people talk about how expensive it is to really get out there and do it um, but then you see their routing and it's, you know, a seven hour drive followed by a nine hour drive followed by a four hour drive. So I, I really like what you said about, um, you know, looking for those staples between, yeah, maybe you want to get to New York, but what, what's between you and New York and at least do your due diligence to try to hit those places before you say, eh, I just really, really want to go to New York. I'm going to skip over this because from a cost perspective too, the longer that drive gets, um, the, you know, the, the, the less your dollar really carries you. Um, and we all know we're probably not going to pay that much um, as, as a DIY band starting off. So, so the route takes more of a important. toll to a, a four hour drive every day, as opposed to a nine or 
10 hour drive each day is is a huge difference and, and look we're we're allowed to say that now where we're at but i mean i can <laughs> say for myself that i didn't i didn't listen to that law at all yeah when I turned when I turned eighteen, the first thing I did is I went on a an almost three month long tour, uh, just all around. Had like four days off at a time. Then we'd have a sixteen hour drive where we had to load in the next day at seven o'clock. Seven o'clock, and you literally you had fourteen hours to make it sixteen hours worth of right. drive. You know. Yeah. But do you feel we're saying that all from perspective? Oh, well, looking back, do you feel like? it was worth it to make some of those mistakes and, and kind of let the road kick your butt a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so that's a totally different perspective that I appreciate so much because, especially for me, because I have essentially grown up and become an adult via a touring career. You know, I mean, again, I'm 25 now. I started touring at 17. That's like, eight years right in the prime development of you know who you were going to be as a person uh for your adult life and i spent the vast majority of that time touring in bands being on the road living in a van i mean for months at a time so for me i i personally cherish all of those mistakes that i made business-wise because it made me figure out who i am as a human being i you you, yeah. you could you never told me at 16 like hey you're going to be pursuing this music career and you're going to have ups and downs and your lowest of lows or you're going to be living in a van for eight months but then six months later you're going to be able to you know be in a new be in an apartment and be able to actually you know take home a little bit of money from a tour it's like it's just such a wild story that you could never tell somebody off the bat who's just getting started hey this is the route that you need to take because you're going to be successful that way uh, you just kind of have to find your way through it I would never do it again. <laughs> I, I've, uh, I've, uh, I've done it. So if someone gave you the chance to start over, you're like, no, thanks. <laughs> oh, no. The, the, the business dynamic is way different. I'm going to be the biggest internet band on the planet before I do a thing <laughs> now. But, um, well, and that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, the current pandemic has kind of taught us about uh, you know, you can't tour your way out of every problem. Sometimes you have to be able to to create content that people can gravitate towards online or, or elsewhere. But something that you said there, I, I kind of um, that kind of grabbed me. I, I think about the the line. I think it's from a Day to Remember song, um, where people told them, "If you can't make it here, you won't make it there." And you were talking about you guys weren't even popular in your hometown, and and so just just kind of blowing holes in that theory of like. No, we need. We just need to get out of here. We just need to change the scenery. We just need to maybe get in front of some people who like a different kind of music, you know. Um, and uh, and and so I think that's a misconception that you hear a lot of times from people is you really have to dominate, you know, your hometown first, and you really have to become really well known there before you can get out there. And I think that misconception stops people from from getting out there on the road sometimes. I was going to say, like, even with us today, like, we can go to Ohio or um, places in Illinois, like around Chicago and stuff, and have bigger crowds than we sometimes do in our hometown. And, like, we don't, we're at the point now where we, we, we still draw pretty well back home, but, like, it, it, it's, it's always been kind of funny. Like, we've always had a a bigger following both online and, and in person outside of our hometown. Um, I think for similar reasons, you know, it's not as much of a, a metal scene here, but there's other genres that are more prevalent. So for us, like getting out and playing some of those different cities allowed us to, you know, we would get pumped about the, the Toledo shows we had or the Chicago shows we had, or the, even the, you know, some of the Pennsylvania shows we played back in the day because we knew there was going to be people there um, and we're almost more certain about those shows than we were when we were, you know, deciding whether or not we were going to book another hometown show. And you guys don't even have a hometown. So that advice wouldn't yeah. even work for you. You're not from well, or maybe, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe because they have four hometowns. Yeah. Or, or you have four hometowns. hometowns. You have more like, you have more of a chance of hitting in one. Like you. It's not the case because it's four hometowns. <laughs> towns has a population of about 14 people <laughs> two of the town uh, the other two of the other towns the, the demographic is 75 plus and then one person underneath it which is the band member in sink in 
and then Los Angeles. <laughs> do pretty well in LA, but that's about yeah. it. Uh, well, well, Evan, like actually, here's a question for you. For, so when I met you in your previous bands, you guys had a huge following in my area, in central mm-hmm. PA, to the point that when I first discovered you guys, I don't know if you remember this, but my first email to you, I thought that you guys were from Williamsport. I don't remember that. But that's so, funny. I, yeah. So when I when I offered you uh, a spot on my little like Jonestown Jam, uh, like music festival I was putting together at 15, I offered you like 50 bucks because I ran the actual mi- <laughs> mileage of how much it would cost from Williamsport to Jonestown, Pennsylvania. So <laughs> like my, I, I didn't, you guys were so strong in that area as a DIY band that I didn't even know you were all the way from Detroit. So like, how, how did that happen? Like, cause that's a prime example of, of, of finding a nucleus and then expanding from there. Yeah. That, I mean, that was uh, just sort of a grassroots. I mean, that was as DIY as it gets. We just sort of beat it into submission. There was during that time we were touring seven, eight months out of the year, it was not sustainable. And it's probably what caused the band to unravel um, because we, spent so much time in uh, uncomfortable situations. Uh, we had a little chart on the wall showing us uh, how much money we would we would get personally, depending on what the band made. And, and most of the time it was either $3 or nothing. Um, and so that, that probably eventually <laughs> burned us out. Um, but yeah, we, I mean, we were out there constantly. Uh, but I think, I don't necessarily think that a band has to do that. I think maybe more so than being out there constantly was identifying places where um, we could see above average enthusiasm for what we were doing and then making sure that we got back to those places. So you mentioned Williamsport. Williamsport um, was a town where we happened to play there once. We saw just, uh, like I said, an above average enthusiasm for what we were doing. And then we made sure that basically every time that we went out after that, there was a Williamsport date. And, and so I guess it's sort of curating the, the tour schedule uh, after you've gone. You, you, can you sit down and really be honest about it and say, okay, this place in Arkansas had great pizza and we had a lot of fun, but nobody cared about us. Even the sound guy walked out during our set. Pizza is all that matters. <laughs> yeah, may, maybe. <laughs> but but uh, so we're not going to go back there. And, and it's it's tough. You have to make a business decision. You might have, you know, two people there that are really into you, but then you look over and you say, but if we go this direction and we go to, to Williamsport, there's a whole bunch of people that are really excited about it. And eventually I think we got to the point where we had maybe 10 of those cities and we just kind of used those as anchor points. Um, and we would go, you know, basically on, if there was a 40 day tour, um, you know, we knew that every four days there was going to be a really good show. Uh, and it took a little while to get to that point, but I think it, it would probably be a little bit easier now for people with the analytics they have available to them through Spotify and, and social, social media. media and yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we mentioned uh, those, you know, those shows where you're playing for no one or where, um, you know, you, you had a really long drive and then um, nobody showed, showed up. Uh, I think that's just something that's inherent to, to DIY touring without having as much of this safety net. Um, I'm sure that makes for some some pretty crazy experiences and, and some crazy memories. Do you have a particular favorite disaster from uh, from DIY touring? <laughs> oh man, there's so there's so, so many so many disasters. Be, that, that's a that's a that's a podcast series within itself. <laughs> let me let me try and tell two. I'll, I'll tell. Cool. I'll tell a disaster. I'll tell a disaster. And then I'll tell what we thought was a disaster that ended up being one of the biggest opportunities, like in my music career. So, um, (laughs) disaster, the, the, the number one sink in disaster that everybody knows about is the the night that we almost burned down an entire town in Montana. (laughs) Um, so, This was a sink in was on a summer tour and keep in mind, we were this summer tour. We were playing a bunch of festivals that they were some of the biggest festivals. Well, they were the biggest festivals we had ever played at that time. So we're riding super high at this moment. Like we actually have some money saved up and we're doing all, we're doing all this stuff. Like we're, 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 we're selling stuff. We're making fans. Everybody's on, on a hundred right now. We had just bought a brand new van. 
Uh, so we had air conditioning on tour for the first time. <laughs> Everybody had their own bench. It was beautiful. <laughs> we're driving, we were driving through Montana on a, on about a 17 hour drive to a festival called creation Northwest in Washington state. The one thing that we didn't have that was new when we bought the trailer was, was we still had, I'm sorry, when we bought the van was we still had our old trailer which was a piece of junk. It was like the door, the door was ready to fall off at any given moment. It rattled, like just like, it literally looked like you were driving with camber, like turned in at all times. (laughs) And we're halfway through this drive and Cabretti, Cabretti is driving. I believe I'm in a passenger seat and we just hear a douche and see sparks fly out of the back. And if you're in a touring band, you know right off the bat that sounds like a tire. Sounds like a flat mm-hmm. tire. Yeah. It was so much it was so much worse. What actually happened <laughs> was we can laugh about this now. <laughs> oh God. Uh it was the axle from this old trailer. It had snapped right in the middle of the road and it had almost elevated the trailer itself because you know the van is still going. The axle snaps this way and it has elevated the trailer off the ground so that Nothing is touching oh, the ground man. but just axle that is digging oh. in and just shooting, I mean, fireworks level sparks out of the back of the oh, back of the van. Man. And a tire goes shooting off the right side. I'm like, Cabretti, we're on fire. We're on fire. Pull over. Pull over. So we pull over. Um we pull over and we just see just like streaks from the axle that had like dug into the ground. And we're missing a tire on the trailer. I look up this giant hill and the tire had so much momentum that it had been rolling uphill this entire time. <laughs> like for the entire distance from when we were pulling over, oh, man. it was up, it was still rolling uphill. So we get out of the van and we look at this and we just see, we just see it, everything looks charred and we're all kind of looking around, figuring out what to do. Sure enough, this tire, a good 20 seconds after it starts going up, cause we were going 75 it starts rolling back down this hill pointed pointed directly at us directly at us we had enough time to all get back in the van and close the doors for the impact of this tire coming back down the hill at 50 miles an hour right at the side of the van. you didn't try and catch it oh my god I, I i thought about it like my first inclination was like to put my hands up and kind of be prepared as a catcher stance and then i bailed and we closed it the tire goes and smashes the side of a brand new van that we had had for two days. So we survive it. We get out and then I smell smoke and I look down probably about a, probably about a quarter mile down from right where the first impact happened when the axle hit the ground. Sparks had shot over on the side of the road and started a brush fire. And at the time, at the time it was, I mean, it was only like five or six feet. So we're like, quick, get our jugs of water. We're going to be able to stop this with jugs of water. <laughs> so we start running at it with jugs of water. Every, everything that we had left, all of our drinks, like uh, literally we're grabbing like, we're grabbing like Gatorades, anything liquid. Piss bottles. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And, and this, this fire takes off to the point that we have to call the fire. Department. Oh no. And it covers almost a half a mile stretch before it gets put out by the fire. Department. Oh wow. I mean, I mean, like we legitimately burned down a large portion of this beautiful land in the middle of nowhere, Montana. Wow. Uh, so if someone's driving through to... Montana and there's just like, there's brush and like grass and stuff. And then like, there's just like a chunk of road where there's nothing. Well, the, the, the really, the really scary thing was the police had to come because it impacted this giant billboard. It started taking over a billboard, Ooh. which now puts us in potential for an arson investigation oh, wow so the police have to come oh, they have yeah. to take us down and take a statement we're like we're actually going to have to be stuck in montana on arson charges right now in the middle of this tour um wow it they Jeez. never we never got charged we never got charged everything was fine but this is this is where the the, the, the diy like grit comes into the story i am so thankful to tour now I tour with two guys, Josh and Cabretti, who are just handymen beyond all belief. At the time, we just had Cabretti. And we're sitting there in Montana, like, what the heck do we do? Our, our trailer is ruined. We have, we have nowhere to go. By the way, we just used all of our water 
to try and put out this fire and we can't go anywhere. Um, Cabretti Bardol walks a mile, a mile and a half to the closest little, little offshoot off this highway is able to find an axle that will fit our trailer. We carry it back and Cabretti Bardol fixes the axle on this trailer on the side of the road in Montana in the middle of the night. Get it all back together. And we made it by load in tomorrow or in the morning at 11 a.m. That's insane. Cobretti is an animal. Yeah. And <laughs> it was. And Josh as well. I, I mean, we had. Yeah. A similar... they've, they've both saved our butts on multiple occasions on our co tours yeah. where yeah. we've had very similar instances. Literally, our, the axle on our trailer breaking and Josh telling us to pull into his garage. And the next morning, we wake up to it welded back onto our that was our, actually when our, our that was actually when our hitch broke not the time oh I, that's right <laughs> we've, oh, we've yeah. had so a lot many of things, things break. break i can't even remember as like the axle broke the hitch broke yeah. the trailer door fell off but you made it in time for yeah. load-in that's incredible oh my word i made it in time for load-in no we, that, that was the most important part we hadn't slept in days but we made it yeah how it, energetic um, was that performance Oh, I went bananas. We tried a music video with that thing. <laughs> That's great. That's I think great. everybody that I've talked to who is in a band, you know, um, who's not like, you know, Bon Jovi, uh, who's gotten out there w- without like the the safety net support of millions and millions of dollars has some sort of a story like this. Uh, you know, we were just we just went out to California and back and our buddy Jared was with us doing doing merch and he was telling us about a time where they were going up an icy hill. They couldn't make it up the hill. They had to detach the trailers. Somebody lost their wallet in the snow. And it's like just things that seem like they're out of a movie. There's something to be said for going through those kinds of events like multiple times, I think. And 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 then, you know, things get thrown at you down the road. Um, obviously, as you develop, you have more re- resources to deal with them, but not being phased by it as much as we maybe would have, you know, earlier on for sure yeah so what so what was the story where you thought it was a disaster and then it ended up turning out positive for you yeah so um the other one was we were on a drive in arizona middle of the summer and same situation it was a van breakdown story we break down somewhere on on Route 45 where none of us have service. None of us have service. It is, I mean, you're talking six, five, five six in the morning. You know, one of those situations where like, all right, we're going to have to get creative. Like we're literally trying to wave people down, trying to figure out um, how the heck we're going to even, even be able to get a hold of AAA to, to get us towed. Um, and if you know Arizona in the middle of summer, it starts to get hot. And that was the situation. Same thing. Cabretti's trying to fix the van. I am trying to hide underneath the van from the heat because by this time in the morning, as it's starting to get closer to noon, I mean, you're talking like 110 degree weather. We're running out of water. I mean, I'm like, I'm in a movie right now where the guy dies in the middle of the desert, but I'm on tour. Underneath the van. And yeah, underneath the van. All of a sudden, we hear we hear a we hear a snake in the bush that's right beside the van. Like it's just one of those. What are we doing? You know, why why are we here? That was that was the like that was the number one feeling at that moment. Why the heck are we here right now? AAA eventually comes, says, "Hey, we can only tow the van. We can't tow the trailer." So. The mo- oh, uh, so Cabret- Cabret- we all split up Cabretti and crew they go with the van I as well as another member just sit on the side of the road with the trailer in the middle of Arizona we're just sitting there eventually a police officer came up who happened to have an SUV tossed it on his hitch and drove us like 40 <laughs> miles to the next town awesome. <laughs> so this was just a mo- this was a moment where sink in is literally separated and different between different towns. We're just sitting there in a parking lot with a trailer at McDonald's, just like sitting in McDonald's for for cool air. Cabretti and gang are over in a different town trying to get the van fixed, and that was just the number one moment where we're sitting there just going, "Why the heck are we doing this? We're doing this wrong. Something is not right." And what happened when I'm sitting in that McDonald's is I get 
a Facebook message from somebody that I didn't know. Earlier on in that tour, we played a show, one of the standard shows where you get thrown on somebody else's bill. They tell you you're going to play at like nine o'clock at night. You end up playing at one thirty in the morning on a Tuesday. <laughs> so yep. it's, it's, it's in Knoxville, Tennessee. <laughs> and we play to exactly two people in the room, the sound guy and the guy that was too drunk to leave the bar yet. <laughs> so we play Sounds our set. Right. And I remember something, I remember saying that night, something that my dad told me right when I started to take music seriously. He said, no matter how many people are in that room, you never know who matters. You never know who yeah. matters. It does not matter. And that's, that's, that's two-sided. It does not matter how many people, because if there's one person in that room if you care about what you're doing with your music, that is one person that you're able to impact positively with, with your passion yeah. and your creativity. And that's one life that you can change indefinitely Absolutely. with your time. And then part two, on a business aspect, you have no idea who that person at that bar is. It's true. And sure enough, from that one night earlier in that tour, that guy was a concert promoter who ran one of the biggest festivals in Tennessee at that time. He was out on a Tuesday night by himself drinking, who knows wh why, left the house, was just sitting there by himself, ended up seeing this random band play at 1.30 in the morning, and he liked us, and he found me on Facebook. And while we're sitting there in a McDonald's in the middle of Arizona going, we need to give up, we're terrible, why are we doing this? I get a message saying, hey, do you want to play main stage at this festival? Dang. You know, and, and those little moments like that in a career like this that involves such a drastic decision to just throw yourself out there to the wind, those little moments like that are enough to keep your feet moving for that day and get you through those harder moments that you're inevitably going to run into. Absolutely. And, you know, that, I mean, that spot didn't even, that's, honestly, I don't even remember if we even ended up playing this festival. It didn't matter. The point was, was yeah. I got that message. I got that message and it was enough for me to go like, all right, this is why I'm doing this. I need to remind myself that I'm out here in the middle of nowhere to try and impact people and to try and grow this. Yeah. And it just kept our feet moving. That's awesome. Yeah, It's funny how some of those biggest opportunities, whether it's on a personal level, like you said, impacting someone's life, um, connecting with someone on a deeper level or something that ben ends up benefiting you from a business perspective come from sometimes the most dire of circumstances for yourself where you're just in a rut or you can't think of a way out um and well and, yeah. and i think that that's a narrative that you hear a lot now where people say you know it, it doesn't really matter you don't have to get out there you don't have to grind you know with the internet it's all about your social media stats and your instagram followers and your spotify plays and your youtube channel and all these things and and yeah those those are all valid but um you know there still is something to be said for a guy sitting at the bar at 1:30 in the morning seeing you play in person and an opportunity coming from that and um you know we've met a lot of people uh, on the road um, and, and some of them, uh, it, it wasn't that they were the promoter for, a, a major festival. Um, but they ended up becoming some of our closest friends or they ended up being people that ended up touring with us, uh, doing merch or, um, uh, you know, photography or just being crew for us. Yeah. You really never know who you're going to run into. And, and that's something that I would say if there's, if there's a band who, who their focus and, until this point has been get big in the local market, you know, work really hard on the socials. Sure. That's all great. That's all fine. But, um, put yourself out there and, you know, let some of these disasters happen to you and, and find out what you're made yeah. of and find out if you, if you really, um, you know, if this is really for you. So yeah, that's cool. I, I think that's like the, I think that's such a unique superlatives, you know, like if I, if I was, if I was a record label, and we were sitting down at that, sitting down at the table, going, "Okay, who are we making the next phone call to?" And I'm sitting there looking at four bands. You know, if all of them are remotely similar in terms of audience, in terms of streams, in terms of social media, but that one band has that superlative of, you know, Johnny across the table got to go see them once in a bar, or 
you got a chance to look at their their touring statistics and they've done some road work and they've gotten themselves started it's just it shows what you can do independently and it's that unique superlative that's going to give you an opportunity if that's what you actually cared about in the first place absolutely and now can you maybe talk a bit about the kind of work that goes into setting something like this up if 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 i'm a band you know the kind of band we're talking about now that we're trying really hard to get big in the local scene. Um, you know, we've we've been paying attention to our socials and all that kind of stuff. But now I really want to get out there and do it. And I don't know where to start. Um, you know, what kind of what kind of prep work should a band like that do to make sure that you know they they are able to, you know, avoid some of these disasters? Some of them they're just going to have to embrace. But to to have some success with it, right? The the disasters when it comes to van breakdowns and logistics of that nature, that the, there's really no way to save yourself from it right. unless you have the financial capabilities of having everything brand new. Right. Um, and, 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 but in terms of preparation and how it all comes together, I mean, it's, it's, it's when you, especially when you're first starting out, it's a thousand emails with 10 responses mm-hmm. uh, and then narrowing down those 10 responses. And, and it's just, I, I think, I, I think so many bands when they're first getting started, they don't throw themselves out there. I know, I know when I first got, got started, I would email people that I had no business emailing. Mm-hmm. I would go in a, I, would, I mean, you know, I didn't even realize I was emailing people affiliated with live nation asking if, if my little garage band could come play a hard rock cafe. But every once in a while I would get a response. Yeah, you know, I, I, I will give myself credit in the fact that I just didn't care. I just threw myself at, at things. I would contact people. I think, Evan, I think you can attest to that. I, like, I, I, would pester, I would pester the hell out of people that I got connected with that would give me five seconds uh... of their time in the music industry just to try and get on shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think eventually that reputation turned into... Um, just hardworking turned into the hardworking guy as opposed to the pestering yeah. guy. So, you know, I, I would sit, I would sit down. I still do this. I would sit down and I would map out, I would map out a routing and then we would run all of our estimates in terms of overhead, what we're going to need for merch to make money, uh, what we're going to need for, for gas expenditures, for living expenditures. We, we would sit down and we would have this budget and then we would just chip away at it saying, all right, here's how much we need to make at all of these dates. And especially when you're first getting started, you're never going to actually make all that money back. So you just try and get creative with how you're going to do it in the meantime. Um, and then I would go from there and just start contacting everybody I could possibly find online saying, hey, first off saying, hey, can we jump on somebody else's show? We want to open up for somebody that has a built-in audience because we knew that we would make more off of selling merch because we were good at what we did and we knew how to communicate with people. We would make more off of selling merch at a show that was bigger than we would uh, getting a guarantee. Yeah. yeah. So everybody, everybody complains about not being able to get a guarantee right when they start touring. Man, go, go get, go get put in front really of people so that you can sell merch. Yeah. Um, so that's how we were able to continue rolling uh, at the beginning. We just got good at selling merchandise. That's a really good point. Just having good, having good merch to begin with, having options like things for people it's i like now that you you mentioned that i think about how many bands we run into on the road local and bands that are touring that just have like their one cd and that's it and they don't really have like merch and like you think of how many shows we've played in a bar to like a handful of people and still made a couple to few hundred dollars off of people just those that handful of people really liking the stuff and buy, wanting to buy a hoodie and a t-shirt and an album you know like or a sweet denim dad hat <laughs> there you go right look at that branding love it there it is you notice it's so hot and humid in pennsylvania and getting the sweat lines over over the oh dad, i just right thought that right was there. by design Isn't that good? that's that's good for the branding on <laughs> the podcast um Dude, they you should start making your hats with a built-in sweat line yeah so it doesn't <laughs> there's, there's like a there's like a sweat cap there's a little brim right there just to make sure it doesn't go beyond yeah um 
but look uh, for for Vanson first starting out like and you don't even, you don't even need a ton of finances to to have a merchandise line that's going to be able to cover your costs. I know when we first got started, we would whenever we changed out strings, we would take all the strings and somebody in the band was really good at just like weaving them together and making jewelry out of the guitar strings that we were that we would otherwise throw away. So it was zero overhead merch, and we we could sell these rings for 25 bucks and people would buy two of them. Wow. Just because it was so dang. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, uh, those, those little creative things, man, when you're able to find that little, that little special thing that only your band does when you show up at a venue like that, that all of a sudden that, that starts your business. Orders and sells cassette tapes in 2020. Yeah, there you go. Don't know who, and don't know anybody who would do that. <laughs> yeah. And you guys, I can attest to this. You guys have uh, excellent merchandise, and I own quite a bit of it because of that. So uh, I definitely think that's important. You know, one of the things that that struck me about what you just said is just being willing to to reach out and not being afraid of rejection. I was just listening to a podcast the other day where an author uh, who was, you know, relatively unknown um, just said, you know, I'm going to write to Stephen King and see if maybe he wants to blurb my book so I can put this, uh, <laughs> this blurb on my book from Stephen King thinking, you know, there's no way Stephen King's going to, going to read this. Um, and then lo and behold, ends up with the blurb from Stephen King. And you just really never know unless you're willing to put yourself out there and you're, and you're, you know, able to handle the rejection that is inevitably going to happen when you send out a thousand emails. Um, and still happens even, even when you are uh, a band that, that does, you know, DIY touring frequently, you're still going to get that rejection. So I really like that. That's a, that's a skill that, that you're going to, you're going to maintain throughout, throughout your entire music career. I mean, I'm still the person that sends out a thousand emails a month, uh, just trying to stay connected and just trying to, to find opportunities to work together with people. That's a, that's a skill that's never going to go away. Awesome. Well, I guess as we kind of wind things down now, um, I have a bit of a less serious question. You walk into a gas station on tour with maybe the five bucks you have in, in your pocket to spend on, on your, your meal for the day. What are you getting? Two for four rain, sugar-free energy drinks in the creamsicle and the mango Rama flavor. (laughs) (laughs) If you were ever worried about your driving capabilities at 3 a.m., you put two of those babies down oh, in man. about 20 minutes and you can run the distance, let alone drive. <laughs> yeah. Zero sugs, too. Zero sugs. Man, I, I, I could be eating as healthy as possible uh, while I'm at home. And the second that we fire that van up, I only have eyes for corn dogs. So we we uh <laughs> we'll make it there's a speedway that we always fill up at right by Evan's house like maybe 60 seconds down the road and we'll 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 be on the road for a whole 2 minutes and go into that speedway and just come back out with our first just full plastic bags of absolute junk like freedom Wait, wait, I need to tell a story. I don't think I've ever actually told anybody in any interview or anything. I'm just thinking about this awesome. now. So, Exclusive. so uh, there you go. In my, in, in my first band started touring, um, we were trying to answer that age old question of what job can we work uh, when we're not on tour yeah. that would give us yeah. to continue to tour as hard as we were trying to. And my... 19-year-old brain thought that that answer was working for a company that is now openly known as a pyramid scheme. <laughs> uh, mul- you mean multi-level marketing. <laughs> yeah. Multi-level marketing, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so between tours, I got, in- I got involved with this company and I would end up with just pallets full of this like healthy alternative energy drink called Vima or like the company was called Vima and then the drink was called Verve. (laughs) And and I, I mean, I literally, I would have hundreds of cans at a time because you had to have a, you had to like buy a certain amount every month and I wasn't making any money. And I just kept throwing a hundred dollars, a hundred dollars a month at these cans of energy drink. So I remember going on a tour and I had so many of these energy drinks that 
we I, we just took the pallets and put them in the trailer, and there's literally more space being taken up by these energy drinks than there is equipment. <laughs> so there was two tactics that we were going to be doing. One, we were going to drink as many of these as possible. They were going to be our lifeline for this entire tour. And my, I mean, the permanent damage from just like a three-week tour on my heart and my internal systems will be felt for years. But the other thing that we did is that we started selling energy drinks on our merch oh table. My gosh. We would put a sinking, or I'm sorry, it wasn't a sinking, it was Wings to Save. We would put Wings to Save sticker around the drink. We started selling them as our own drinks at this merch table just to try and make, we were selling them for like a dollar a piece, which I was losing money on. <laughs> I was paying like $3 for what, a drink anyway. What was the drink called? But it was called Verge. Verge? No, it was honestly it was verve. verve. It was honestly amazing. It was like a really good energy drink. It kind of sounds like if you took a guy named Chad who's really into MMA and you just distilled him down into liquid form. It kind of sounds like <laughs> the what brand, the branding was like bright orange. It looked like it looked like boxer shorts, <laughs> and it just like like literally you would open up the can and just the sizzle from a distance. Like you would hear somebody open up the can, and everybody else in the band from like the other end of the venue would go. <laughs> Verve, <laughs> verve. Oh, it man. says verve is the first clinically proved healthy energy drink. Oh wow! Oh my, they're still around. Yeah, because you, yeah, because there's somebody found a pallet of all the stuff you didn't sell, and so they're keeping things going. Oh no! Okay, there. <laughs> I I that was the first thing that popped up in like the description on Google, and right below it under their net I, it had a button that said net worth and i clicked it and so it says the description is the company was shut down in 2015 by the ftc for engaging in deceptive practices and pyramid scheming <laughs> oh man yeah they, they, they found out that some crummy band was was deceptively putting their their band stickers over top of the brand i should say company. that's that's on it's it's uh citing uh wikipedia there so yeah so don't sue us allegedly. if that's wrong we don't have any money allegedly. anyway so. <laughs> allegedly allegedly oh that's awesome that's so yeah as we as we kind of wind things down here i guess if if there's somebody who's on the fence if there's a, a young band or maybe even a band that's been around for a while and they're on the fence about whether or not they should go for it. Now, obviously, nobody should go for it right now because uh, we are we are currently in the middle of a global pandemic. But when that all wraps up, if, if somebody's on the fence uh, and they're wondering whether or not they should go for it, what what message would you have to that person? So um, the majority of our conversation so far has been more so on the business side of things, more than the the, the, the drive or like the reasons why we do this side of things. So my answer to that person would be would not would be disregarding the business entirely. Mm -hmm. So we can talk all day long about what works and what doesn't. Inevitably, this is a kind of pursuit that involves you being fully committed. Um, you know, I mean, I'll literally I'll explain it just through why Sink In is called Sink In. You know, we this band is called Sink In because when when my older band stopped. I was sitting at home miserable going, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I feel like any decision that I make right now is not going to make an impact for anybody outside of myself. Um, how am I going to make my little impact on the world? And I knew that I wasn't done with music and I knew I, I, I was so driven to believe that my little impact on this world is going to be made through music. And if that's what I'm being called to do every single day, I have no choice other than to fully immerse myself into the pursuit of a music career. Immerse, immerse myself or sink into it, no matter what. That's where the name came from, you know? So that means something different to everybody. If that means starting out with weekenders every single week, just trying to, to grow your name and trying to, to connect with people and trying to share your music just a couple hours away, that's what that means for you. If that means just playing in your hometown every few months and just kind of getting your feet wet that way, that's what that means to you. For me, that meant leaving home, putting everything I owned in a van, driving up to Los Angeles and living in a van in Los Angeles for eight months until I got enough members to start the van. That's just what it took for me. It's kind of the person. That's the kind of personality that I am because I grew up to and grew up being on the road. So I can't answer the question in terms of 
if you're on the fence, what's the next step that you should take? I can just answer the question of if you are so driven and so called to make a step, you have no choice for yourself other than to make that step and be in pursuance of what that is and, and what you want to be. I don't care if it's even outside of music. I don't care if you want to be the best trash man you can be. I don't care if you're sitting here right now on this podcast and you want to become a teacher and you didn't go to college to be a teacher. Then my goal is that I can be the encouragement to tell you that to go back and get that education, to go and apply for that job or to go show up at the crummy venue and try playing your music in front of people for the first time. So that would be my advice for for anybody like that. Awesome. That's a good point. I feel like it's more for a lot of us that are out on the road or already in it, it definitely feels like more of a calling than, than something we just want to do, you know? Um, yeah. Cause I, I, I would say there's plenty of times that all three of us can reference that we absolutely didn't want to be doing what we were doing and did it anyway. Uh, because we knew deep down that like that's what we were called to do that's what we felt our purpose was was to be there even if we didn't want to be because there's going to be plenty of those disaster stories but there's for for every disaster story we can point to probably five or six uh, great moments and things we've been able to pull from it in in a positive light too so for sure. So Ty, thank you very much for, for being on with us today. If people want to hear more from you or want to hear uh, what Sinkin is all about, where can they find you? Yeah. Um, everything social media is at Sinkin Band, S-I-N-K. Um, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere you listen to music. Uh, we have a bunch of new stuff. I'm actually in Pennsylvania right now because we're about to get started in the studio again. We're about to be putting out a ton of new music. So if you follow the the Spotify page and follow the, our social medias now, you'll be seeing a bunch of new stuff from us over this entire uh, next coming year. And um, hope you love it. Thank you guys so much. This was a lot of fun, actually. This is really cool. Yeah, we miss you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we're, little, we're supposed little, to be touring little together tidbit. in about a month here. Yeah, but. little tidbit for those who have heard us talk on some interviews recently about our canceled album release tour. It was actually going to be with Sync and I guess we can we might as well say that now. So right. we we would have been hanging out this whole summer. It would have been fun. I know. For how for how much for how often we've toured together, it's officially been like a long time now since it we've actually been. I don't like it. Tour. It has been. Well, let's get back to that as soon as we are legally and safely able to do so <laughs> agreed agreed we'll do the uh the the, the mass uh, tour with masks on right, yeah masks mask on every drum you know we'll make it happen <laughs> a new merch item right there yeah the sink in sink in mask all right well thanks again ty we appreciate it and uh hopefully we'll <laughs> there you there go <laughs> if you're listening if you're just listening on audio ty just threw on a sick mask so uh, check check it out if you if you access the YouTube version of this. But Ty, thank you very much for being on. We appreciate it, and hopefully we'll talk to you soon. I love you guys. Love you too, man. Talk to you, dude. Thank you for listening to the American Arson Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a positive comment or review. Connect with us online through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter. And check out AmericanArson.com for music, merch, and upcoming tour dates. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, stay inspired, stay positive, and keep creating.